0: I tell you, I missed one game and I feel completely out of practice. Such is the way of the habit of worship, I think. Today I want to share with you a text from the Gospel of Matthew that I think is completely appropriate and necessary for our world today, which I think also opens up to us a paradigm of how we can Learn what is true and what is real. As I go through this, I hope you'll see that the best way to learn it is through parables. The kingdom of God is like a parable, as is life like a parable. This morning's text from Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 through 34 I pray, will open us up to an understanding of what I mean. The parable of the mustard seed. Jesus put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree. So that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. The parable of the yeast. He told them another parable The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until it, all of it was leavened. Jesus told the crowds all these things in parables. Without a parable, he told them nothing. Really? Without a parable, he told them nothing. Then maybe I should start with a parable. Abe Lincoln knew this is true, which is why he told stories at every opportunity to make his point. One of which, there was a preacher in southern Illinois, holding forth about the scripture text and Jesus, saying that Jesus was the only perfect man who ever appeared in this world, and also that there was no record, according to the Bible or anywhere else, of a perfect woman anywhere. Whereupon there arose in the back of the Sanctuary, a haggard and persecuted looking woman, who, when the preacher finally stopped speaking, said, I know a perfect woman and I've heard about her every day of my life for the last ten years. Oh, yeah, the preacher asked, Who is she? My husband's first wife, she replied. Here's another parable by Soren Kierkegaard, the existentialist theologian philosopher who came to see that what we need in our lives is not more information, but transformation. And that the best way for receiving that transformation comes through stories and parables. Way back then, Kierkegaard understood that thing in us called confirmation bias— that we like to live in our own particular bubble of truth, and we seek out information that supports what we already know. The more information we have does not necessarily bring us more truth. His title of this parable is called, "Is Divine Love: Dangerous?" The kingdom of God is like a man who wanted to hand over a two-edged sword whose edges were as sharp as a razor. Would you hand over the two-edged sword the same way that you would thrust into their hand a bouquet of flowers? Convinced of the excellence of this dangerous instrument, you desperately want to give it to this person But you must first warn them of the dangers of it before you hand it over. So it is with Christianity. If we are to hand it over because it is so needed, we should not hesitate. But we should only proceed with great caution, especially in Christian sermons. Precisely in Christian sermons to preach against Christianity. Another parable about a two-edged sword to cut away the spiritual cataracts that cloud our eyes from seeing the truth, but it should only be preached and given with great caution. For the more we learn informationally about Christianity, in fact, the more bubbled we become, so often, and the more we need a two-edged sword to brighten our perspective. There were two men living side by side who were having a political argument about which party was the right one. One of the men believed that he understood all the facts, had the truth, and was not biased in any way. The other was able to admit that he didn't know everything, was inherently biased, even a little racist and sexist, and tended to live in his bubble. Which of the two men was closer to the kingdom of God? Which one are we? Jesus understood instead of hitting us over the head with a two by four, that parables were the best way to draw us in and then... Smash us over the head of our soul with the spiritual two by four of God's truth. Just as Paul Shearer once said, the gospel comforts the distressed and distresses the comfortable. When Jesus stood before the people, he wanted to give them this two edged sword of God's love, the kingdom of God, he called it, justice and mercy. The only thing ultimately that would set them and us free from our idolatry and sin. But he knew he had to be careful and that it could only be given with great caution. So he used indirect ways like parables to break through the bubble of our defense. There's something about a parable, a short story that we can relate to, that talks about normal, everyday, mundane things and pulls the rug out from under us in a way we do not expect. We can't defend against that the way we defend against information. Take the two parables I just read from Jesus, the parable of the leavened bread from, uh, what do you call it, the... Yeast. Thank you. This is a cooperative sermon. And the mustard seed. If he had explained all this, nobody would have understood it. But in the little parable, he simply opens up to us an invitation to be drawn in by it. Something we all know about. How a little mustard seed can grow into an incredible bush that actually produces and yields uh, an advantage. uh, It becomes greater than itself, helping to care for the birds who roost. And yeast, three measures of yeast? No, it's three measures of flour. Just a tiny little bit of yeast is all that's needed in order to make the flour bread. That is to say, uh, leavened. And the only way you can know this is because we've experienced what it means for a little tiny seed to grow into something larger and what it means to make bread, especially those in those days. Mustard seed and yeast, small, tiny, but after a while, large, valuable. Notice that the emphasis on the smallness. Is paradoxical to the emphasis on the largeness. No bombastic adjectives like beautiful, amazing, fantastic, huge, perfect, fabulous, just a tiny seed, humble, and a little yeast, quiet. Faith and truth are like this. It doesn't take much, a little faith, sown into the soil of our days or a little yeast mixed into the dough of our lives. And after a while, if nurtured, it will grow into something of volume. Trust works the same way and love and hope and kindness or any of the other fruits of the spirit. The kingdom of God, Jesus said, is like And what he wants to hand over to us is the truth. I can give you some biblical clues about what the kingdom of God is. In God's kingdom, the poor are blessed. The suffering find healing and peace. Justice reigns. There is no separation between black and white, yellow and red, male and female, servant and owner, None. Whatever tribal distinctions we hide behind no longer exist. In God's kingdom, spears are turned into pruning hooks and swords into plowshares. In God's kingdom, there will be no more tears. In God's kingdom, there is a hopeful vision of what life looks like when God finally redeems history when Republicans and Democrats will actually come together and work not to repeal or replace, but to repair and restore. The kingdom of God is like this, Jesus says, a simile, a parable. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, we pray, which is our confession that ultimately and Realistically and practically, at least in our world and in our history, we can perceive the kingdom, we can imagine the kingdom, but we can also see how far we are from the kingdom. Just watch the news. And as Jesus makes clear in his parables, God's kingdom is not only that which will ultimately happen in redemption, but is that which is even now present in our lives. That's the beauty of the way Jesus told these parables. He used the very everyday mundane stuff of life. And from those experiences, a sower went out to sow, a father had two sons, a woman lost a coin, there was a field that had a pearl hidden of great price. Through the everyday, normal, mundane experiences of life that we all experience, Jesus was able to say, in those places and in those spaces, the kingdom of God is even now present. Like yeast, leavening your daily moments, your everyday lives, every time, everywhere, no matter what, God's kingdom is even now present, like the yeast is infused into the flour. And it is for us to be able to perceive this, to see this, to understand this, to be open to this, to embrace this, no matter what the occasion, God's kingdom is still present, even in the greatest moments of suffering as hard as it is to see. I ran into someone yesterday in a parking lot and knew that she had been struggling with breast cancer and asked how she was doing, and she shared with me, I'm doing okay. It's been a really hard journey, I have to say, harder than I expected, but I also have to say that there have been an incredible number of God moments that I've experienced through it which is to say that even in her struggle with cancer, she's perceiving this kingdom of God that is present. Is it just a matter of interpretation? Is it just a matter of having the right eyes to see and ears to hear, as Jesus said? Is it just a matter of opening our eyes to this reality of God's incredible spirit? I had a similar experience after Nancy died in a tragic accident after which there were untold numbers of moments of grace and power and coincidence that, was really, that were really more than coincidence, what we would call co-inky-dinkies which is to say something here is greater than we are that has made this happen. And I'm grateful that because of the story that I had been given through the text, and also because of my vocation, which is hopefully to learn more and more how to perceive the Spirit of God in our lives, and especially in my own life, which I'm still working on, by the way, that I was able to see these moments, these dinkies, these God moments as being present with us. Never in a way that negated the loss and suffering of the accident. That cannot be changed. But always in a way that reinforced us and gave us life and hope to come into a new future. This testament of Jesus to use the very normal, earthly, everyday things that we experience and to say in them, there you will find the kingdom of God, shows us the genius of Jesus to be able to create a parable to begin with and the incredible power and hope Jesus has for us and for this world that no matter what, God is present in it with us infused in all that we do. To proclaim the kingdom of God this way is to trust in the reality of God's sovereign rule, whether there is evidence or not. The space of God's presence and the relationship of all things to God that is not obvious or provable, not scientifically identifiable, not always rational or evident, but present Nevertheless, so to live into the kingdom of God means that we not only perceive it, but we follow it. We strive to live our lives according to the rule of the kingdom of God. If God is love, we're called to live more loving ways. If God is forgiveness, we're called to forgive If God is just, it means that we work for justice. If God is gracious and merciful and slow to lose anger, that's our way of being. And the more we are living into that, consciously living into being the ways that God is present with us, the more of the kingdom of God we will experience being infused into our lives. The thing about Jesus and kingdom truth is that unlike politicians and movie trailers, you don't have to hype it up to make it work. Like parables, it works not out of their extravagance because they're just little stories about life, everyday experience that has in it a surprise. The kingdom of God is like a man who spent much of his life and fortune doing genealogical research. So caught up in his pedigree and lineage, he proudly displayed the family tree in his office wall. For all to see, he was of European origin. Five generations of it. Filled with pride for his ancestral roots, he decided to partake of one of those recent gene studies that are all the rage where you spit into a test tube and for a couple of hundred bucks in a couple of weeks you get back your genealogy. So we called together his whole family and through this extravagant dinner party to end the denouement with him opening the envelope and reading to them his perfect lineage. You guessed it. German, 20% French, 5% African American, 10% Native American, 5% Irish, Polish, even some East Indian thrown in. He was a mixed breed. Upon reading this, he became nauseated, ran into the bathroom, and lost everything that he had gorged himself with for all of his life up to then when he was finally empty, he started to feel like himself for the first time. The kingdom of God is like a woman who had grown up with authoritative parents who stood over her trying to control her every move. When she grew up and moved away, she resolved that she would never give in to such authoritative totalitarian voices again. Whenever someone in authority told her to do something, she would automatically do the opposite. She hated government, she despised institutions, and dismissed the idea of God as nothing more than the epitome of the supreme authority trying to tell her what she should and should not do. She had such an authority problem that she even stopped listening to that voice in her that directed her to make good decisions. Too authoritative. One day while climbing a mountain on a very narrow trail, that voice told her not to get too close to the rail. She didn't listen. As she was falling, she grabbed hold of a limb sticking out of the mountain and was dangling there, screaming for help. Will someone in authority please come and help me? a voice came down from the top of the mountain. Let go. I will catch you. She looked around. What? Let go. I will catch you. She finally looked up at the voice and said, Is there anyone else up there? Is divine love dangerous just as a two-edged sword? Amen.